Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, June 9th, 2016. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Boston, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, BeantownAthletics.com. Today's show is presented by SeatGeek. SeatGeek has made it easier than ever before to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, what's great about SeatGeek is the price you see is the price you get. Most sites will try to surprise you at checkout with these outrageous fees, but not SeatGeek. So make sure you download the free SeatGeek app right now and get a $20 rebate on tickets by using the promo code Picard. That's right. I have my own promo code now, and it is my last name, Picard. Now, the question that I get with SeatGeek, because I give this read and I mention SeatGeek and I, I talk to you about SeatGeek every single day. As you know, this podcast is five days a week and you can get it whenever you want. But people always ask me, whether it's on Twitter or just a, a personal message or an email, they say, is it limited, these tickets that I can get on SeatGeek with your promo code, is it limited to just Red Sox games? Because you do a lot of Red Sox on your show. And I say, no, it's not. And in fact, it's not even just limited to sporting events. Because if you download the SeatGeek app, what you'll find is you can get tickets to any event at any venue in any city. And what I've done basically is with the SeatGeek app, I've made it like a go-to, like it's something that I do every morning. It's, it's one of, you, everybody has a routine. You get up, eat breakfast, take a shower, brush your teeth, get dressed, go online, go on the computer, go on your phone, check Twitter, check your email, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever you do. I have made the SeatGeek app part of that every day, every morning routine. And, you know, look, I'm in Boston. So right now, being in Boston, I'm only looking for events in Boston. But you might be listening to this, not in Boston. So you can go to the SeatGeek app and you can search your city, whatever city you're in. And you'll get all these different venues at the, with these different events. And it's not just sporting events. It's also concerts. And I think the great thing about when I type in Boston and the SeatGeek app, there's so many venues that I don't ever even think about when it comes to, all right, what are you doing this weekend? Well, Sure, I could go to Fenway again, or, you know, if, the, if it's football season, I could see, you know, if the Patriots are home, maybe I'd get some tickets to a Patriots game, go down tailgate, or if the Bruins or Celtics are playing during the season, you know, maybe I'll look for tickets to the TD Garden, uh, you know, one of their games, the Bruins or Celtics. But if you just type in the city, you also get these venues, you know, like different theaters in the city of Boston that have different concerts that you didn't even really know were going down. So... That's what I find intriguing about the SeatGeek app, and I think what you'll also find intriguing that not only can you get tickets to any of these events at any of these venues, but I'm also giving you a way to get $20 off, all right? And, and not only are you getting that discount, $20 off by using my promo code, Picard, but if you set an alert for an event on the SeatGeek app, SeatGeek is going to keep you updated, all right? They're basically going to send you alerts whenever the ticket prices fall for the event that you set an alert for because they're going to make sure you get the best deal possible and combine that with my promo code Picard and the $20 off. I mean, you can't go out and get me or find me a better deal than that. And on top of it all, every ticket on this app is given a grade and you can use their detailed map to see the exact view from your seat. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or a concert, any venue, any city, and it should be the first place you go as well. SeatGeek. Now, 
I am recording today's show a little bit later than usual. Sometimes the schedule gets hectic because there's other things going on. I hope you can understand. Uh, tonight, I am on WEI 93.7 FM, actually in just a couple hours. Uh, but I will be able to pump this podcast out before I am on WEI tonight from 10 to midnight because the Red Sox have tonight off. I will get into some Red Sox today. I'll also get into the NBA Finals, that Game 3 last night. There's some NFL news as well when it comes to minicamp. We've been paying attention to Patriots minicamp the last couple days. But i got to say this. i got to say something. We just had an event here at Beantown Athletics out back. A legitimate race for $50. See, two, two of the people in the back that work for Beantown Athletics, they, they get in a shouting match about who's a, who's a faster runner, who would win in a race. And so we were back there egging them on going, I think you guys should actually race and you should put something on the line. $50 on the line. John Costas, Matty Krasenzi, they went out there in the back parking lot and did a sprint. Did a full sprint for a race. And Matty won. Matty beat Johnny Fagali. I had to mention it. And even if you don't know who they are, I'm telling you, it's just... It was one of the most exciting things that has happened here at Beantown Athletics. I got a tweet yesterday, too, that told me not to get into the personal stories, especially something that you might not know uh, what I'm talking about. But that was real quick, and to be honest, the way I react to that is, eh, I'm going to give some personal stories every once in a while. If you don't like it, eh, you don't have to listen. That's, that's the bottom line. But we have some drama here at Beantown Athletics. You can follow the Beantown Athletics Snapchat to get the race. Follow Beantown Athletics on Snapchat and... Uh, you can see the, the video footage of the one-on-one sprint that we had out back not too long ago today. So it's been a busy day. It's been an exciting day here at Beantown Athletics. And I've been walking around a happy camper because I made a lot of the boys some money last night. I made them some money because they listen to the podcast. And if you listen to this podcast, you would have made money last night too because I told you to pick the Cleveland Cavaliers to beat the Golden State Warriors in Game 3. I told you it was a lock. Cleveland went into the game a one-point favorite at home. They didn't even have Kevin Love. They didn't even have Kevin Love, and they beat the Golden State Warriors by 30 points. A 120-90 to win for the Cavaliers in Game 3. Golden State now has a two-games-to-one series lead. Golden State led the series two games to none going into this game as it goes to Cleveland, and Cleveland has now cut that series lead to to two-to-one. And Game 4 is going to be Friday night, tomorrow night, Still in Cleveland, and the first thing I did today was look at the opening spread. Cleveland's a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and that's about right. Will Kevin Love play? I don't know. The Kevin Love situation, I'm going to get into that because people have lost lost their fucking minds, haven't they? And I've been been watching the—if you've listened to me, you know how I feel about the the, basically all the analysts and the analysis that we see in the NBA playoffs. It's insane. Like— one, nobody can be happy because I have to hear today from people that, oh, it's another blowout. There's so many blowouts. The NBA's got to change. Everybody always wants to change something. Sometimes there's blowouts. Sometimes games aren't close. Sometimes series aren't exciting. I don't know. I seem to think this series is pretty exciting, even given the blowouts that we see. All of a sudden, it's a series. But my biggest beef with this series, and even going back to the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals, my biggest beef with the NBA analysts is they all just live so much in the moment that it drives me insane. Like, it drives me mad. I don't get it because these guys have one job. And look, 
I'm there's part of me that that's bitter that these guys all have these full time jobs covering these sports and and I'm still out out here just grinding away looking for someone to give me a title shot for a full time opportunity. I get that, and I you know we've been doing this for a while, and I know you don't want to hear my sob story about it anymore, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you it. But I just want to preface it by saying, okay, let's get it out of the way. There is part of me that's bitter that some of these assholes have jobs over me. When I know I could do their job better than them. I understand that. So I'm bitter with that. So let's, let's just get that shit out of the way right now. That being said, when you actually look at the job that some of these guys do, when they're asked to analyze not just a single game, but then take that game and then bring it into the bigger picture. And give me, I want these guys to give me their big picture assessment as to what's going on in a certain series uh, based on what they saw in a single game. And, and what most of these guys do, and, and they're paid to do one thing, cover one sport, a lot of these guys. Now, there are some that do multiple sports. I get that. And sometimes those guys who do multiple sports, they, they get a little out of control with their theories and their, you know, because they're just looking for ratings. They're looking for people to talk about them the next day. I, I understand that. Um, but still, these guys are still getting paid to do a job, and all I want to hear them do is a job that, that I, I want them to use common sense. Like I, I don't want them to live in the moment so much. I want them looking at the big picture, and, and I want them being realistic with what they're seeing. And I don't think anybody, when it comes to NBA coverage, at least this year in the playoffs, I don't think anybody's being realistic with what, what they're watching. And that couldn't have been more evident going into Game 3 of the NBA Finals when everybody and their mother was trying to tell me that Golden State had this thing wrapped up. I read you the headline the other day on this podcast that was the top story on ESPN.com in which it said something along the lines of, well, they got LeBron figured out, and because of that, you know, this series is is all but over. I mean, what? They haven't even played a game in Cleveland yet. They haven't. And Richard Jefferson who was in the starting lineup last night for the Cavaliers, by the way, because Kevin Love was out with a concussion. Richard Jefferson played 33 minutes. He had nine points and eight rebounds to go along with two assists, uh, two steals. Jefferson, after the game, you know, he's asked about all this stuff, and he said, well, we have to listen to all this nonsense, and all we're sitting there going is, well, let's just take care of our business at home. Golden State took care of their business in Golden State in the first two games, but now we're coming into our building. Different situation. And, and he pointed out, much like in the Eastern Conference Finals, when they had to listen to the same nonsense, when Toronto took care of business at, in their home court in games three and four, even the series at two, they had to listen to the same shit, which is people... Uh-oh, getting overly concerned or saying, you know, just saying things that don't make any sense because they're just living so much in the moment for that one game and they're overreacting to one thing that it's just, they're not thinking big picture. These analysts keep doing this. The, the media keeps doing this. And I, I don't know why. Like, what is so difficult about thinking, okay, Golden State's up 2-0. You're going to a game three now in Cleveland. LeBron James. Back against the wall. Even if you don't have love, at least you have Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving got hurt. What, in the first game, I think, last year in the finals, right? So, don't tell me that Cleveland's not a better team this year, right now, in that going into game three last night, than they were in last year's finals. Don't tell me they're not. They're a better team right now. And I told you to Cleveland, this was lock of the century. Really? This was... 
you know, the type of win that I'm watching the first couple minutes, this game was over five minutes in, right? The way Cleveland came out. And, you know, what I don't want to hear now is the whole, oh, well, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, they didn't show up, they didn't do it. I know they're great players, but they're not superheroes, okay? They're going to have off nights. But I have to give credit where credit's due to Cleveland. They scored 120 points. They played some better defense in their home court, like I told you they were going to do, in front of their crowd that was all jacked up. And even though they didn't have Kevin Love, LeBron James had 32 points, and he only hit one three-pointer. He was 14 for 26 from the field in 40 minutes. LeBron had 32 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists. He had two blocks. One was an unofficial block on Steph Curry after the whistle, which, by the way, I loved. I loved the basketball fan. I mean, love that. LeBron James' personality, you know I hate it. But I'm willing to give credit where credit's due with regards to the respect level I have for him as a dominant basketball player and, in my opinion, the best player in the world. Steph Curry goes to throw a layup into the basket after the whistle, well after the whistle, and LeBron James came out of nowhere and just swatted him swatted it into the glass and said, no, we're not doing that tonight. Not tonight. Not ever. Not in my house. Not even after the whistle. I loved it. I loved it. We used to see Kevin Garnett do that all the time when players would take shots after the whistle. Maybe they figured they could, they could get one in. And not even one of these shots where, like, they just they shoot it. They're in the motion of shooting it as the whistle's being blown, right? Not one of those. I'm talking like whistle blows, they give two dribbles, and they're just trying to take a practice shot to maybe feel good about themselves, to see and feel the ball go into the basket. Maybe if they're having a bad shooting night. Well, I think Steph Curry was just trying to throw one in, maybe feel a little good about himself. You want to know, you want to get that feeling of putting one off the backboard, putting one off the glass and into the basket. And LeBron says, fuck you. Uh, It's not happening right now. You're going to have to wait and hit one of these during the game if you want to snap out of your cold streak, right? So I had no problem with it. Garnett used to do that all the time in a Celtics uniform. He used to jump up and just swat shots after the whistle that weren't going in, knowing there's going to be no goaltending because knowing the the basket would never have counted because the whistle blew. So I don't have any problem with that. I I hope no one's making a big deal. I don't think anyone's making a big deal. I mean, I don't think it was like a... I don't think it was a, a momentum swing. Like, I don't think Cleveland as a team got any extra juice in that game because LeBron did that. But I certainly like the message that LeBron's sending to the Warriors, that he's sending to Steph Curry. It's a very small and minor message, but it's a message nonetheless. And when I, when I look at the message that was now sent by the Cavaliers and LeBron James in this Game 3, where they win it by 30 points on their home court, you know, they cut Golden State's NBA Finals series lead to two games to one. They still have another game in Cleveland on Friday night, tomorrow night. The message that is sent here is simple. And it's a message I told you they were going to send. Is that this series isn't over. And this series certainly wasn't over when Golden State won two in Oakland. It, was, it wasn't over then. But you got a lot of people and a lot of these analysts and NBA experts and insiders, and they're all trying to come out and tell me after game two that the damn thing's done. And I don't know. I mean, I just think that's the most ridiculous assessment of a big picture playoff series that I've ever seen in my life, considering who the guy is on the other side that you are counting out, okay? You're counting out the best fucking player in the world. That's stupid. That's a stupid thing to do. And I told you, put the money on Cleveland last night. Put it all on. Got a mortgage? Put it on. You're a happy person today. 
That's what I try to do. I try to make people happy. That's, you know, I'm not always happy. I don't always try to make myself happy. But I'm trying to make you happy with Picks Picks every Friday. Looking for a sponsor for that too, by the way. If you do want to maybe try to make me happy, maybe give me some money for that segment. And, you know, everything will be good. But I told you, if you put money on Cleveland last night, you'd be a happy camper today. Because Cleveland just whooped Golden State last night. And if you're asking me what my early pick is for tomorrow night, Friday night, game four in Cleveland, as the Cavaliers are currently one and a half point favorite, I'm telling you, take Cleveland. I don't know that it's going to be a beatdown like it was last night, but I, I do know, and I think they showed, or they should have showed people last night, that they're a legitimate title contender, right? The, the Cavaliers are a legitimate title contender. The reason that people didn't really say that about them is because they try to compare the rest of the East to the rest of the West. And they say, well, Golden State's road to the finals was so much more difficult than Cleveland. And you know what? You're not wrong saying that. You're not wrong saying that. But that's not Cleveland's fault. And it wasn't like Cleveland was just barely beating Detroit in the first round or just barely beating Atlanta in the second round. They won. They won eight straight games. They didn't lose a game the first two rounds. And in fact, they ended up winning 10 straight games because they beat Toronto the first two in the East Finals. I just, I, I never use that argument to sort of, to criticize Cleveland, it's not their fault. It's not LeBron's fault that the Western Conference teams are better than the East, that the competition Golden State faced was more difficult than the competition Cleveland faced. That's not Cleveland's fault. It's not LeBron's fault. So I never really held that against them, but a lot of people did, and that's why you get a lot of people thinking, especially when it goes 2-0 in favor of Golden State, they used that combined with their previous notion and belief that, well, Golden State had to beat so many more... Yeah, they're just much tougher matchups that, you know, they're going to be ready for Cleveland, who basically just sailed to the East and sailed through a very easy Eastern Conference. You know, they, they used all of it, combined it, and said, after game two, they said, series is over. I sat here and told you it's not. I hope you believe me now. I get what you're saying. I get what you're thinking. Well, if Golden State wins the next one, then are you really going to come out and, and, and try to say that it's still a series? And you know what? I think I might. I think I might. I have seen LeBron go on the road in a must-win game and put up 40. He did it at the Garden a couple years ago in Miami in a series that I thought was over when the Celtics went into Miami in Game 5-1 and in the East Finals. LeBron comes to the Garden in Game 6, puts up 40, forces a Game 7 in Miami. We know how that ended. Not in the favor of the Celtics. And I know it's different, right? But... Don't tell me, like, I, just, I have such a tough time sitting here counting out LeBron in a must-win situation in the finals. And that's why I didn't do it last night. Because the stakes were too high and LeBron's just too good. And he gives you 32 last night, 32-11, and 11, and the Cavaliers win. And now the story is, well, if you're the Cavaliers, if you're Coach Tyron Lue, if you're anyone on that team, if you're... I don't know, assistant coach Phil Handy. Apparently, assistant coach Phil Handy went on a tirade after game two, just ripped into the team, basically called them a bunch of pussies, and said they suck, and and Cleveland responded. I mean, I don't know that I want to put the assistant coach's tirade on a pedestal to the point where I'm giving him all the credit. But certainly, I don't think it hurt. 
I think that's very apparent. That didn't hurt. Um, but if you're the assistant coach or if you're the head coach, Tyron Lue, like, what do you do now? Because Kevin Love did not play in the last game. And, and I know the Kevin Love conversation. I've had it. The whole going back to last year, does Kevin Love fit with this team? Do, do the players like him? There's all this shit on social media with LeBron and on Twitter and on Instagram where there's a picture of the team and Kevin Love's not in it. Um, was that, did that stuff, was that foolish on LeBron's part? Of course it was. It was childish. It was foolish. Don't handle your business with your teammates on social media. But when that happens, I just thought Kevin Love's response was even more childish to all that. We went over that all last year. I'm not going to, not going to dip into that too much. If you want the whole story there, you got to go back and search for it yourself. But I just thought Kevin Love's response was even more embarrassing, was even more childish. To the point where I start looking at that going, huh, maybe LeBron does have something. Maybe he's got a beef. Like, maybe Kevin Love is just soft mentally, right? If social media stuff's going to get him worked up to the point where then comes off like a whiny bitch. Like, we got to the point where I told you I didn't even want Kevin Love in a Celtics uniform. But that conversation's coming up again. Because there was a rumor the other day that said Kevin Love... There could be a bidding war for his services this offseason, especially if Cleveland doesn't win the title. And when Golden State took a 2-0 series lead, as I told you, the media went nuts and said this one was over. So I think people started digging on the Kevin Love trade rumor stuff coming up this offseason if Cleveland didn't win, and they all believed Cleveland was down, down and out. Well, now Cleveland doesn't look down and out. They're down, but they're not out. They're not out. But the reason they're not out and they're in this. They, they got the job done last night without Kevin Love. And it has forced the question to a lot of people in the national media. A lot of these knuckleheads are going, like, like when you turn on all these shows today, right? What are the shows that are on coming up? You got PTI, Around the Horn. You got the Dan Lebitard show. Where is, is that really his father, by the way? With Bomani Jones? What, can I ask someone? Can I? This is a legitimate question. This, I'm, dead, I'm dead serious. Um, where did Bomani Jones come from? Dead serious. I, don't, I honestly don't know. I'm not like knocking him. I'm not, I don't know where he came from. I don't know. Like, all of a sudden, he's on TV doing the show. I, I seen him on Around the Horn. Like, where did he come from? Like, what, what did he do? What makes him so good that gives him all of these opportunities? Like, is he good? There's a, like, like, people try to tell me that, oh, I have an accent and they can't understand what I'm saying because I'm from Boston. And if you ever went nationally, you'd have to lose the accent. And, like, I listen to some of these guys going, like, Bomani Jones talks and, like, I don't even know what he's, I don't know what he's fucking saying. I literally don't. Like, he talks too, he talks so fast. I'm like, what is he, what? What did he just say? And on top of that, he's sitting next to the guy who's supposed to be Dan Lebitard's father. And I can never tell what that guy's saying. And he's on ESPN. Like, I honestly don't know what Dan Lebitard's father ever says. And is that really his father? Or is he just an actor? And like a former producer that was funny. And they said, we'll, we'll throw you in to entertain. What's Highly questionable. What, like, how does that show get on TV? Honestly. Like, how does that happen? It, do you, got, you just got to know someone? That's that easy? Just, just, who you know? 
Who are you connected to? Who are you friends with? Man, I guess I'm going to have to get some friends in the media. I don't have, I don't have many, if any at all. But, Because, um, you know, my plan has always been to, you know, get my sports talk show, daily show on, on TV. And we should do it. We got a forum for it right here at Beantown Athletics. The way we built the studio was set up so that we could put cameras in here. Um, they, but they just, I'm on Comcast Sportsnet, by the way, tomorrow night, Friday night. But I'm just like, I, I'm just like the Friday night guy now. That's, that's all I am. Um, but anyways, yeah, the bitterness sometimes seeps through, seeps in. But I'm looking up at this show and I'm like, I, I always think this. and I, I, I never remember to rant on it. But like Dan Lebetard, is that really his father? Can somebody answer that question for me? And and for all the people that try to tell me, like, like I've said some things, oh, I, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that. They say, well, you can't go national because you have an accent. The people locally, they're like, oh, the, the, the people locally trying to tell me I can't do it locally because I sound like I'm from the city that I want to fucking jump in. That's what they tell me. And then I look up at TV and I got Dan Levitard's father. I don't even know what he's fucking saying. Like, I can't, I literally can't understand the guy. But yet, yet then everybody's telling me what I need to do with my accent to get on a certain spot in a certain forum that... It, it, some of the advice that's dished out, by the way, is coming from people that have no fucking idea what they're talking about. People who are not even... That were in the business, that are no longer in the business and are trying to get back in, that have no shot because people like me are going to get that opportunity before them, before, whether they like it or not. It's going to happen, okay? But yet, you got Levitard's father. I don't know what the fuck he's ever saying up there. And I don't even know if it's his father, to be honest. And But on a stupid show like that, like on all these stupid shows, right? What's the top story today? What's the top story? Kevin Love. Should he be yanked from the starting lineup? If he's okay to go with the concussion symptoms, if they give him the okay, should Kevin Love be in the start lineup? Like, this is another example of people being absolute knuckleheads. Do people really believe? And I know people said Richard Jefferson was down there banging around on the boards last night. He was a physical presence. First of all, Richard Jefferson is a complete dickhead, okay? One, let's get that out of the way. Anybody who's ever seen Richard Jefferson, like, in public... I know I have heard stories of rich. See, there are certain guys where you hear like these stories where guys like get into fights with just random fans at bars. It's like, dude, like it's one thing if, you know, it's one thing if you're like in one altercation or maybe two. I've heard Richard Jefferson in like 15 altercations out at bars or restaurants to the point where it starts to, you know, the question starts to become, all right, well, who's really at fault for all this now, right? Is it, is it the fans or the other people at the local establishment or is it Richard Jefferson? Because I'm starting to think it's Richard Jefferson. It's a Richard Jefferson problem, not a random, you know, I don't, just a random person at a bar problem, right? But do people really believe that Richard Jefferson in the Cleveland Cavaliers starting lineup for game four would be a better option for a basketball team than Kevin Love? I know I've knocked Kevin Love. I know I've told you I don't think he's a max contract guy. 
I know I've told you I don't think the Celtics should give up too much to acquire Kevin Love. But that doesn't mean he's not a good player. That doesn't mean I don't acknowledge the fact that he can hit threes, he can rebound, and he certainly is somebody that a championship team could use. There's no question about it. I don't like the guy. I don't like his attitude. I don't really like the fact that he does come off as someone who's soft as puppy shit, but I'll acknowledge when I see talent, he's a talented player. I don't think he's max contract talented, but he's talented enough where if I'm Tyron Lue, Okay, and now somebody asked him the question last night. Are you gonna, uh, Tyron Lue? Are you gonna start Richard Jefferson in Game Four? What, what do you think? Tyron Lue's gonna give you the fucking lineup. Uh, you think he's get? What else do you want? You want him to sit there and draw up a play for you too? Is that what you want? Is that what you want to do? Yeah, Tyron, can you draw up a play that you're gonna open up Game Four with, please, for me? Thanks. <laughs> Is that? I mean, that's what you want, right? He's not gonna do that. He's not gonna tell you start in lineup. But I think if you got a if you got a brain, if you're Tyron Lue, there's no way in the world you are gonna start Richard Jefferson over Kevin Love in the NBA Finals if Kevin Love is healthy enough to play. Like, what planet are we on where that would even be an option? The only way you start Richard Jefferson again is if Kevin Love is ruled out. It's the only way. That's the only way. All right. But that's the story. That's the question at the top of all these stupid shows. Um, and I, and maybe they just need a talking point. You know, maybe they just need. Uh, um, but but I, I, you know what? Let me let me also say this. I don't even I don't mind the question because we don't know if Love is gonna be able to play or not. But the answers are the answers are the, are the things that frustrated me. The because I'm hearing a lot of people go. If Kevin Love's healthy, they should still stick with Richard Jefferson. <laughs> what? Like, what What are we doing here? What are you talking about? Are we talking about the same Richard Jefferson? Right? I, like, when did we get to the point? Like, somebody's going to have to answer me this question. Hit me up on Twitter. For answers to any of these questions, is the guy next to Dan Levitard, is that actually his dad? Um, I mean, if he is, that, I, look, that's pretty cool. But I, I don't know. Is he? I have no idea. The other thing is, if you want to answer me this question, when did we get to the point where Richard Jefferson became NBA championship caliber starting lineup player again? When did that happen? Like, when did we get from Richard Jefferson no longer being an impact player in the NBA to him needing to be in the starting lineup in a, I would call, very important game four in the NBA Finals? Honestly. And and for the people that say, well, Love isn't really gelling with this team, I think there were things that happened last year where you could say that, but I think this year, I've seen Kevin Love act just fine around these guys. I think another year under his belt, I think he answered some critics this season. People say, well, Love's not used right in Cleveland. I don't know. They're not saying that when Love puts up a double-double, are they? It's funny. I don't ever hear the Kevin Love doesn't work in Cleveland argument when Kevin Love is putting up double-doubles. It's never after those games. So I think people just pull shit out of their ass and throw it against the wall when it comes to love and the Cavaliers this season. And if you watch the video footage last night after this game when Cleveland wins and they're all celebrating going back to the room, the, guess who the first person is to greet them? Kevin Love. 
And it's not like he's just giving them high fives and they're walking right by him. They're giving them, you know, basically handshakes and celebrations, the type of handshake celebrations that you practice for hours on end during the day. You don't do handshakes and practice things like that with people that you don't like, people that you don't want to be teammates with, people that you despise, people that you don't want to be in your starting lineup the next game. Like, the, the Kevin Love not getting along with Cleveland thing, to me, is, is non-existent this year. I think they get along just fine. And the other thing is, if he's healthy enough to play, if you line Kevin Love up, against the wall with Richard Jefferson, and you told me, take one of these two guys to be in your starting lineup in an NBA Finals game. Right now, if you took Richard Jefferson, you, are, you have either had way too much to drink, or, you, or there's something wrong with you. Or you've never watched basketball before. Okay? If Kevin Love can play, he's in the starting lineup, and he's playing more minutes than Richard Jefferson. Let's... Let's, let's try to work that one out. But, but the answer to the question, I've heard from a lot of people who actually, I've heard from people who know what they're talking about. And that's why the NBA analysis that we see in the last month, I don't know what's going on. I honestly don't know what's going on. But that's where we stand in the NBA Finals. Cleveland with a big win last night. And uh, Tristan Thompson, I thought it a big game. And I thought Thompson last year in the finals was, a, was an impact player. I gave you 31 minutes last night. Gave you 13 boards, 14 points. Hit four of his five free throws. Five of six from the field. Tristan Thompson, they need him. He's somebody that they need. You know, you talk about role players, guys that need to step up in big games and big moments that aren't necessarily highly touted coming into the game or looked at to play a major role. Tristan Thompson's one of these guys, I think you know, can really help change this series if he can have a big game four. That's my guy. Because LeBron, look, LeBron's going to get his points in big games. That's just the way I feel. Kyrie Irving, you know, he's going to get his shots. He's going to hit some. He had 30 points last night. J.R. Smith, you talk about him shooting. Uh, He took 13 shots, took 10 three-pointers, hit five of them, hit half of them. All right. He had 20 points. So... I think Cleveland wins game four. I think they even a series of two. It's my early prediction. I, I, I guess I reserve the right to change that when we get to tomorrow to see what, what's happening. Um, but I'm telling you right now, even if you told me Kevin Love wouldn't be able to play game four, I, I'd still be taking Cleveland to win game four. But if Kevin Love is healthy to play, he's in my starting lineup. Uh, will he be in Tyron Lue's starting lineup? I think it would be ridiculously stupid if he wasn't. But if you're asking me my starting lineup, it's a no-brainer. If Kevin Love's ready to go, he's in my starting lineup. That's that's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's going to be. So, <laughs> that's what we got in the NBA Finals. Um, Stanley Cup Final. Tonight, Game 5. Guess what's, what's in the house? You know, you want to guess? What's in the house tonight in Pittsburgh? The Coop! The Cup is in the house tonight in Pitt for the Penguins to win. Penguins have a three-games-to-one series lead over the San Jose Sharks. And usually in these situations... Even on the road, I'd pick the team with their backs against the wall uh, to come out and at least get one more win. But I just think Pittsburgh's too good right now. I think their goalie is playing very well, the rookie Murray. I think the San Jose Sharks, there's certainly something creeping into their minds where they have failed, you know, the core group, at least 
some of the veterans on this team have failed time and time again in the big moment when their backs are against the wall. And I just think Pittsburgh is going to be capable tonight to close it out at home. And I think the Stanley Cup is going to be given out tonight. It's the best celebration in sports. Uh, so I, I hope to be watching. I will be watching as I'm on the radio, WEI 93.7 FM tonight, 10 to midnight. So make sure you tune in and give me a call because phone lines will be open. And I will be getting into some Red Sox tonight because the Red Sox last night, they lost to the San Francisco Giants 2-1 to late night games. You got two games on the West Coast in San Francisco. Now they got tonight off. The Red Sox go to Minnesota for a weekend series. But this was a big one last night with regards to the pitching matchup. David Price versus Madison Bumgarner. Okay, the Red Sox ace versus the Giants ace. And the one thing you'll notice with Bumgarner, and I don't know if it's because it's early in the season. I don't know if it's just this game. But the velocity last night for Bumgarner was down big time. I mean, he was 89 to 91. And and he's usually a guy that's pumping it in at 95, 96, right? So Bumgarner did not have his best stuff last night, though. The Red Sox, they weren't able to do anything against him. They only scored one run. And that one run came on a Chris Young home run in the fourth. Gave the Red Sox a one nothing lead. And then David Price, who gave up only three hits in this one, in a complete game, but only eight innings because it was in San Fran, and they were losing. David Price, three hits allowed. Two home runs. Two solo home runs. The two runs that the Giants scored, two solo home runs. Belt in the fourth and Williamson in the eighth. And they were two meatballs. Two off-speed meatballs. Meatball City population David Price last night on those two pitches. Other than that, the velocity was up. Um, you know, he's doing different things with his mechanics. I think we just need to maybe stop looking into it. Like, his knee was coming up and hitting the glove before pitches last night. One thing I noticed with Price is he doesn't follow through on every pitch. And I don't know if if that's a reason for anything. Because I see him not follow through and he gets outs. I've seen him follow through and get outs. But early in the game, he was following through a lot. Like, almost every pitch. And then later in the game, he sort of throws the pitch and he just sort of stay his upper body just stays upright. He doesn't follow through with his left leg, his left foot. And I don't know. I think it I think if you're gonna keep an eye on anything, maybe stop looking at the knee hit, coming up and hitting the glove or the glove up high or the knee kick. And look maybe look more at the follow through with his left leg as a left handed pitcher. I think early in games, what I've seen is he's following through with that when he's got his best stuff. And later in the game, maybe when he gets a little fatigue, fatigued, he's not really coming through with that left foot. It's something I see. Maybe I'm overreacting, maybe not. But look, Price, eight innings last night, three hits, two of them solo home runs. Those are the only two runs he let up. They were meatballs. He walked two guys. He struck out seven. He threw 107 pitches. He ends up getting the loss. Um... And the Red Sox, they had a chance in the ninth. They trailed 2-1. You're on the road. I saw people on Twitter crushing John Farrell for the decisions he made in the ninth. If you've listened to me, you know I, I mean, I'm going to criticize John Farrell when I think he deserves to be criticized. And I think early this season, the way he handled the bullpen, I thought it was terrible. And I criticized him big time, the way he handled the bullpen. But I never really got on him. For some of the lineup stuff when it came to Chris Young, I, I just didn't. I just I thought it was too early for that. Young's been playing well lately. 
He has. And he had a home run last night. But because he's been playing well and because he had a home run last night, some people were upset, at least I saw on Twitter, that John Farrell pinch hit for Chris Young. They put David Ortiz in. Here's the situation. Top of the ninth, San Francisco leads 2-1 to one in San Francisco. Hanley Ramirez drives one to left center, and the outfielder there, what Williamson, just drops a routine fly ball. I'll say routine. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a little. It was a little more difficult than routine, but it wasn't difficult. Put it that way. He was running to his left. He dropped it. Hanley Ramirez safe at second, with no outs. Jackie Bradley Jr. gets up, and there were people that wanted JBJ to bunt. And my response to that would be one. Jackie Bradley Jr. has been driving in big runs all season long. So, no, I don't want him to bunt. I really don't. Two, the other reason I don't want him to bunt is, have you ever seen him try to bunt? Have you ever seen the Red Sox try to bunt? It's embarrassing. They, there's not a player on this team that knows how to bunt. Now, you know, we can knock that. Sure, I hate it. You should know how to bunt. They don't. It's embarrassing. So knowing that they don't know how to bunt, well, that's another reason I didn't want him to bunt. Jackie Bradley Jr. strikes out. Dan Ortiz hits for Chris Young. Guy on second, one out. People are upset that maybe Chris Young say he should have got a hack because he had a home run. He's been playing well. Because then you got Travis Shaw after him. They say, well, you should have just had the lefty pinch hit for the lefty. Ortiz pinch hit for Travis Shaw. And I guess the way I look at it is this, and and this is a big picture philosophy. This isn't just focused solely on one game or one little stretch in which Chris Young is is playing well and is playing with some confidence. I don't think you can look at it like that. Who would you rather get? Who would you rather have up? Give me two at-bats here. Would you rather have Ortiz and Travis Shaw with a runner at second base? Or would you rather see Young and Ortiz? I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. I'd rather have Ortiz and Travis Shaw both up there taking hacks over Chris Young. I don't care how well Young's playing. So I'm okay with Ortiz hitting for Young and letting Travis Shaw get in at bat next. Right? I'm okay with that. And the Red Sox couldn't drive Hanley in. And they lose the game 2-1. I honestly, I wasn't worked up with the way John Farrell handled the ninth inning. I just wasn't. I, I, that's, the, that's the exact way I... I would have played it. In a perfect world, you know, if Jackie Bradley Jr. wasn't just swinging the bat like an animal this season with runners in scoring position, then guess what? Or at least, you know, driving guys in in big spots with big hits. If he wasn't, and he could bunt, he knew how to bunt, <laughs> all right, then you bunt him. But he's he's driving runners in this year. Um, He's hitting you 315, uh, and he doesn't know how to bunt. None of the Red Sox do. So, I, I wouldn't have handled the ninth inning any differently. I really wouldn't have. And the Red Sox now have tonight off. And they go to Minnesota. Stephen Wright on the mound tomorrow night, Friday night, against Minnesota ready Tyler Duffy. And uh, Stephen Wright, the most consistent pitcher on this Red Sox staff. I've given you the, the stat that's most impressive with him this season. It's... Stephen Wright is in a four-way tie for most complete games in all the majors this season. You know who the other three guys are? You know who they are? Chris Sale, Johnny Cueto, and Clayton Kershaw. 
Yes, Stephen Wright is in that conversation with those guys, at least in that category. I'm not going to put him in that conversation just as starting pitches in general, but I think it certainly speaks volumes as to what Stephen Wright is doing this year and how special a pitcher he has been for this Red Sox team. And he looks to continue that tomorrow night in Minnesota. So that's where we stand with the Red Sox, with the Baltimore Orioles winning last night. The Sox now a game and a half behind Baltimore. Orioles in first place, Red Sox in second. That's what we have with the Red Sox. And uh, to close it out, NFL thought we've been paying attention to Patriots minicamp. Another session today. Gronk still missing from minicamp, at least on the field. Rob Gronkowski was not on the field once again today. But as we know, he was there. He was at the facility. So that puts an end to the conversation of, you know, the, the contract. Is is the contract a reason why Gronk's not on the field? No, it's injury-related. They're being extremely cautious with Gronk, as they usually are. So at least it's good to hear that he's in the building. He's just not on the field. I guess there's, there's questions as to why and what type of injury it is. But you know the Patriots. They're not going to give us any injury information. So we might never find the answer to that question. But once again, just to keep you updated... Gronk still missing from minicamp, the on-field portion, at least today. And then one final NFL story I keep seeing, uh, the Von Miller contract. I thought yesterday they said he agreed, and then I you know, I turned on the TV today and it said, well, contract discussions with Von Miller and the Broncos stall, and Von Miller, who is talking with the Broncos, the deal apparently was six years, 114.5 mil which comes out to what, about $19 million a season? But the guaranteed money in the end. See, you'll drive yourself crazy if you're trying to look at average annual value with NFL contracts because it's all about guaranteed money. And $40 million guarantee, that's the number that I'm seeing was offered to Von Miller. And when they say contract discussions stall, I mean, I assume, I'm going to assume that means Von Miller wanted more money. Unless there was some other thing going on in the contract that we're not hearing about that Von Miller wanted cha- wanted a change to, I, some other term, I don't know. I mean, they're making it sound like he's rejecting the 40 mil guaranteed, wants more guaranteed money. Maybe he wants 50 guaranteed money. Maybe he wants less overall value of the contract, and maybe he just wants more guaranteed, or maybe, maybe the guaranteed money isn't all front-loaded like we see some of these contracts become. I don't know. What I do know is 40 million guaranteed is an awful lot. And uh, I guess if I'm the team, if I'm the Broncos, I'm looking at it going, I mean, really? You're not going to sign this? It's a pretty damn good deal. But, again, you drive yourself crazy if you try to overreact to NFL contract talks and contracts in general, especially when it comes to guaranteed money and how some of these contracts are broken down. I don't exactly know. I don't think we know all the details to the Von Miller contract discussions and how these this contract is broken down specifically. So I guess you can only have so much reaction to it. But if Von Miller is looking for more than that, I don't. I guess I just don't know if he's going to get it. So we'll keep an eye on that situation because that is a lot of money when I'm seeing right now. I would take... Uh, 4% of that money that Von Miller is asking for, and I'd be just fine for the rest of my life. I'm here five days a week, DannyPicard.com. You can also listen on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, 
the Google Play Music Store, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all forms of social media. Don't forget, follow Beantown Athletics on Snapchat if you want to see the result of the little $50 sprint they had earlier today in the back parking lot. It's pretty humorous, and I'm seeing them all fight up back there. There might be a rematch. So, again, follow them on you follow them on all forms of social media. They'll probably post it on their Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well, but definitely follow them on Snapchat. Again, I'm on WEI tonight. I'm on TV tomorrow night, Comcast Sportsnet New England, but I'm back here at the Beantown Athletic Studios tomorrow. But get me on 93.7 FM tonight, 10 to midnight. Give me a call. Call in. I'll let you talk about whatever you want. And hopefully I'm looking up at the TV and seeing the Stanley Cup being hoisted tonight. If it is, it's going to be a big one. I'm out. Talk to you soon. <laughs>